podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What's good, boys and girls? Two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 26th of April, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, and access things that you're geo-blocked from. So, for example, an Irish expat can get access to RTE Player, GAA Go, British expat can get access to BBC iPlayer. They can watch their Sky Go in Spain, France, wherever it is you happen to be. And you can keep your data safe. With a Liberty Shield VPN, you can get where you need to be and keep your private information private. So check out libertyshield.com. Use the code EPL25 to get 25% off at checkout. That's EPL25, EPL25 to get 25% off either the hardware package, the router, which is sent out to you. It's easy to set up or the software package, which is just an instant download to your device. Get using straight away. Check out libertyshield.com. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally... Do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Radio folks, it is Tuesday. We had one game in the Premier League last night, and that game was Crystal Palace versus Leeds. It ended nil-nil, but it was actually a decent game of football. I'm not really sure how Palace didn't win. They had the better chances. Leeds fought their corner. Leeds defended better than they normally do. Now, you look at 17 shots from Palace and seven on target, and maybe it doesn't look like that. But what Leeds did last night that I thought was quite good was they limited Palace to mostly low percentage opportunities. I think Jesse Marsh has done a really good job since taking over at Leeds. Took over in difficult circumstances with a bunch of injuries, no striker a team that were used to conceding a lot of goals, and he's very quickly put in place an improved defensive structure. Now, it wouldn't necessarily have been hard because Bielsa's defensive structure was a bit mad. The whole man-for-man marking thing is admirable, but in the end, it's never going to be hugely successful, not in the Premier League, not with the way teams play over here. Wolf Zaha probably should have scored. He had a couple of half, decent half chances. Mateta probably had the two best chances of the game. One where he was played through by Gallagher. Uh, another where he just missed getting on the end of what was quite a good cross. Melier made some good saves. Leeds will be happier of the two with that point. It's one more point towards survival. Now, I still think they're probably going to need another three, maybe even four points. But they've got five games left. It is a difficult run. 
They've got Man City next, then they get Arsenal, then they get Chelsea. The Arsenal game is away, the other two are at home. Anything picked up from those three games, anything, one point, two points, anything at all, is a massive plus. The games they need to be targeting are those last two games, Brighton at home and Brentford away. Because there is four points to be had in those two games. If they can get anything from the next three, it will be a massive help. But I, I think Leeds will be okay. I don't expect them to go down. I still think it will be Everton, the hardest run in, the least amount of points of the three teams that could stay up. Uh, I think we're just writing off Norwich and Watford now. Are we all in agreement that we'll just write those two off and confine them to another season of the Championship? It's one from Everton, Burnley and Leeds. Everton have the least points of the three and they have the hardest run-in of the three. Leeds running, well, to be fair, Leeds running might be harder. It actually might be harder, but I, I just trust them with the five-point gap they have on Everton now. I just trust them more. So hopefully, hopefully Leeds survive. I, I like Leeds. I like them as a club. I like the fact that they're brave in what they've done managerially. Like, not many clubs, especially in the championship, would have had the bottle to go and get Bielsa. And then to replace him with Jesse Marsh at the point that they did, especially given how things went at Leipzig for Marsh, was another big brave call. So I think they've done well. I'd like them to stay up. For Palace, they're 14th. Look, they finished 13th and 12th and 11th and whatever else under Hodgson. But this is a better season than anything they've put forward in recent years for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're actually playing real football now. It's not the anti-football dirge of the Hodgson era. And number two, they've actually crafted an identity to the team. Their rebuild or, or beginning of their rebuild in the summer was very brave to let go of so many players and so many experienced players in one summer and go completely the opposite direction and bring in a bunch of young players. Now, Anderson obviously is mid-20s, but Gwehi is young, Gallagher is young, Ulisse is young, Edward is young. To bring these players in, and show as much faith in them as they have this season. Now, I think Edward's been a little bit underused, but he's a long-term signing. Same thing with Elise. There's games where, you know, Ayo is playing, and you think, why is Elise, Elise not on the pitch? But it is a long-term signing. And they plan to have him, and to have both of them, but especially Elise, for a number of years. Now, it may well be that he gets plucked off by a top club. He's got the talent to be playing for pretty much anybody. But I, I like the fact that Palace went, plucked him from the championship and said, we are going to build around this type of player. You know, they did it with Eze a year before. Now with him, I'm really excited to see what they do this summer. I think Vieira's done very well. There's a lot more to like about Crystal Palace now. Before, they were just sort of existing. And in football... One of two things needs to happen. Your team either needs to win or they need to be enjoyable. 
And for many years, Palace were neither. They weren't winning anything, and they certainly weren't enjoyable. Not with the brigade of anti-football merchants that they paraded through as managers, from Pulis to Allardyce to Pardew to Roy, Warnock was there. Like they, All of the guys, when you think, close your eyes and think gammon and gravy, basically all of them worked at Palace at one point or another. But Vieira is a complete change. He's been a breath of fresh air there. They're a well-run club. Now, their ownership is a little bit up in the air at the moment because, obviously, two of the people who are part owners of Palace are currently involved in one of the bids to buy Chelsea. So we'll have to wait and see what happens there. We'll have to see how that affects the summer business for Crystal Palace. I don't think they'll have too big of a problem finding a new buyer for those shares um, because Palace are a London club on the up. They've got a fantastic new academy. Their stadium, while while old, is it, there's a charm to Selhurst Park. There's a real nostalgic charm to it. And the atmosphere is unbelievable. Like, we always talk about the bigger clubs when we talk about great atmospheres, you know, Anfield on a European night or Atletico Madrid Stadium, uh, the Bombonera with Boca Juniors. We talk about Marseille, you know, Feyenoord. These clubs where the atmosphere is incredible, it's part of what they do. Palace are, with respect, one of the smaller clubs in the Premier League, but the atmosphere at Selhurst Park for a 3 p.m. kickoff on a Saturday or a Tuesday night, the atmosphere is unbelievable. It doesn't matter who they're playing. It doesn't matter what the occasion is, what the day is, what the time is. Palace fans come and they make an absolute racket. And it's really admirable. So there's a lot to like about Palace. Young squad, young manager going in the right direction. If Josh Harris and his partner decide to sell up, if they're bid for Chelsea, is successful, I, I don't think they'll have any problem at all finding someone to take those shares off their hands gladly. I mean, look, if it's their their bid that wins, they're, I think they're in the Martin Broughton bid, well, then maybe Paluca or Todd Bowley would decide to buy the shares in Palace if they just want to get into football. It's probably a better investment considering there's more chance of Palace's value growing than there is of what you're paying for Chelsea actually growing um but yeah I'm ex- I'm excited to see what both teams do this summer to be fair I think under Jesse Marsh we'll see a new approach for Leeds they've obviously been strongly linked to a couple of players already young Aronson the American kid from Salzburg is one who's definitely worth keeping an eye on I've seen Palace linked to the likes of Brennan Johnson I think he'd be a, a strong signing for them if they want to continue to pluck the best young talent out of the championship. Uh, tonight, we have no Premier League action, but we do have Champions League action. And we have Manchester City versus Real Madrid. This is the first leg, obviously, of a two-leg tie. 
And while you can't win a tie in the first leg, you can lose it or you can come damn close to losing it. If you lose heavily in the first leg, you are really relying on the other team to not show up for the second leg, to bottle the second leg. Think PSG a bunch of times. Think Liverpool and, or not Liverpool, but Barcelona to Liverpool in 18-19. You're relying on that team to be just arrogant about the second leg. We all remember the social media posts from Barcelona prior to the second leg at Anfield. If, if we score one, Liverpool have to score five, and we're going to score at least one, aren't we? Well, no, you weren't. Corner taken quick, quickly on your bike, son. Real will be going to City tonight, aiming to not lose heavily. If they win, they'll be thrilled. They'd be happy with a draw. They'd be delighted with a draw. But if they get out of there with a 1-0 defeat, I think Real will be quite happy about that. City got to this stage by topping their group. It was Group A with Paris Saint-Germain, RB Leipzig and Club Bruges. They beat Leipzig uh, 6-3 in their first game. Ake, Mukiele's own goal, Mares penalty, Grealish, Canseo and Gabriel Jesus with a Christopher Nkunku hat-trick in response for Leipzig. They lost 2-0 away to PSG. Still haven't quite figured out how they lost that game. Uh, Adrissa Gay and Leo Messi with the goals. They beat Club Bruges 5-1 in Bruges. Canseo, two for Mares, Walker and Cole Parma with the goals. They beat Bruges 4-1 at home. Foden, Mares, Sterling and Gabriel Jesus with the goals. And then they beat PSG 2-1 at home. Raheem Sterling and Jesus with the goals. Mbappe for PSG. They lost to Leipzig in the final game, but they had heavily rotated Dominic Sosbalaya and Andre Silva with the goals for Leipzig. Mares with the goal for City. So four wins, two defeats, 10 goals scored. Sorry, 18 goals scored, 10 goals conceded. Top of the group, one point clear of PSG. Then they face Sporting. They beat them 5-0 away. Mares, two from Bernardo, Foden, Sterling and Gundogan. They drew 0-0 at home. Then they beat Atletico Madrid 1-0 at home with a goal from Kevin De Bruyne and drew 0-0 in Madrid in what was an absolute war of attrition. This is going to be a much tougher game than either of those. This is much tougher than any game they've played so far in this Champions League cycle. You can spout all you want about Neymar and Messi and whoever else, but Real Madrid know how to win Champions Leagues. They don't know how to do much else, but they really do know how to win Champions Leagues. They've won 13 of them. This group of players, many of them have won four. Real have won the last seven Champions League finals that they've taken part in. The last time they lost a final was 1981. This is a team that just knows how to win this tournament. Since the beginning of the 97-98 season, Real have won eight league titles. They are about to wrap up their ninth. But they've won seven Champions Leagues. So their focus and their existence is more Champions League-centric than it is La Liga-centric. Because it should be easier for them to win a lot more La Ligas than Champions Leagues. Because you only have to beat one team. 
in most seasons. Now, Atletico Madrid made that different for a few years. Valencia made it different for a few years. Deportivo Lacarunia made it different for a few years. But generally, it's Real or it's Barca. But for Real, if you give anyone in the hierarchy of that club the choice of Champions League or La Liga, they will choose Champions League. Now, the thing is, everyone in the hierarchy at City would choose the same. If they were given Champions League or Premier League, they would choose Champions League every single time because City exists as an entity to win the Champions League. The money that's invested in them has been invested with the goal of winning a Champions League. Every big move they've made has been with the goal of winning the Champions League. Because the gravitas, the bragging rights that comes with that, it legitimizes the club. If we look back on Arsene Wenger's time at Arsenal, it was undoubtedly a success, but the one major knock is that he didn't win a Champions League. The reason some people suggest that Pep was a failure at Bayern, I don't believe he was, but the reason some people suggest he was is that they won the Champions League the year before he took over and they didn't win it while he was there. The reason some people suggest his tenure at Manchester City is thus far a failure, again, I'm not among them, is because he hasn't won the Champions League. I don't think you can look at his time at City and what he's won and say that's a failure. But some people do because he was brought there to win the Champions League. He wasn't brought there to win the league title because any good manager, and I mean good manager, I'm not talking about average managers, I'm talking like really good managers, Ancelotti, Allegri, anyone of that calibre and up could win the Premier League with Man City, given the finances at their disposal. They might not win it in the fashion he wins it. They might not win it as dominant as he's won it a couple of times, but they could win it. Winning the Champions League is something different. Now, look, over time, we have had some flat-out bad managers win the Champions League. Not many of them. Not many of them. But Roberto Di Matteo springs to mind. I mean, he's not a good manager, yet he won a a Champions League with Chelsea. I don't even know what he's doing now. Roberto Di Matteo. So he wins a Champions League with Chelsea. He gets sacked five months later. He goes to Schalke. It doesn't go well. He goes to Villa. It's an absolute disaster. 8.3% winning percentage. And um, one win out of 12. And that's it. His managerial career was dead in 2016. Four and a half years after winning the Champions League, he was no longer seen as a managerial option for anybody and no one's touched him since there's been a few rumors that he might be looked at by some clubs but nothing's ever come of it I mean if you look at the last few years it has been a who's who in many ways Thomas Tuchel is a top five, six manager in the world. So is Hansi Flick. 
Sol's Jurgen Klopp. Zidane, I still don't know where to where you'd place him. Like he's obviously a very, very good manager. But is he a Carlo Ancelotti type where he's a great man manager? He manages the dressing room, the egos, and he kind of just puts players in positions where they're empowered? Or is he a great tactician? We probably need to see him away from Real Madrid to truly find out. Luis Enrique, I would say, is one of the lesser talented managers to win the Champions League. Now, he's doing a decent job with Spain, but he's certainly not an upper echelon manager. Uh, Carlo, like I said, he's obviously he's had a great career, but again, I put him in with Zidane, or I, I suggest that, he might, that Zidane might be like him. Carlo's never been a great tactician, but he's a great manager of people. Jupp Heynckes is a great manager. Guardiola, Mourinho, Ferguson, Rijkaard, I would say, average manager. Certainly better than Di Matteo, but worse than everybody else that we've named here. Uh, and again, hasn't been managing since 2013, and his last job was with the Saudi Arabian national team. He managed Barca till 2008. He went to Galatasaray. It didn't go particularly well for him. Um, Saudi Arabia didn't go well at all, but he hasn't been a club manager in 12 years now. Four years after winning a Champions League, four and a half years, very similar to, to Di Matteo, four and a half years after winning the Champions League, he's no longer seen as a viable candidate to be a club manager. The only job he gets then is the Saudi Arabian national team. And he lasts 18 months. He was sacked. And three years later, when no one had come calling, he announces, I don't want to be a manager anymore. Before that, we get Benitez, Mourinho, Vincente Del Bosch, Otmar Hitzfeld, Ferguson, Heinkes again, Lippi, Van Hal. Capello, Gotels, Cruyff, Petkovic, Saki, Hiddink, Arta George. Emery and I. I mean, these are two good managers who had long managerial careers and managed all over the place. I wouldn't say either of them was an elite manager, but they were very good in what they did. They were good in their own countries. Arthur George was good in Portugal. Imre Yanai was good, or Genai maybe, was good with Romania in Romania. Outside of that, not so much. But, you know, winning the Champions League is, is something very special. And for Pep, which was the point of all of this, he was brought to City to win the Champions League because, as we've seen, it is, it's great managers. It's great managers. It's a who's who with, with one, really <laughs> one really standout uh, exception of the last 30 years being Roberto Di Matteo. Oh, 
It's just it, there's there's that there's always one. There's just one that stands out like a sore thumb. Um, anyway, the point of this was City are massive favourites in the minds of most people. But when you look at this game, and I went through it combined eleven yesterday for what that means. It means nothing, but I think Real have been overlooked here. I really do. Now we look at Real's path to this fi- uh, semi-final. They beat Inter Milan 1-0 with a goal from Rodrigo, a late goal. They didn't play well. Then they lost at home to Sheriff Tiraspol in one of the biggest shocks in the history of the Champions League. Um, they lose 2-1 at home to a late goal. They go and they hammer Shakhtar 5-0. Then they beat Shakhtar at home 2-1. Benzema is starting to warm up at this point. Then they beat Sheriff Tiraspol 3-0 in the away leg. And then they beat Inter 2-0 at home. They lose 1-0 away to PSG to an Mbappe, a late, late Mbappe goal. Then Mbappe scores on 39 at the Bernabeu and everybody thinks it's over. And then Benzema just tunes up the band and goes bananas and scores a hat-trick. They went to Stamford Bridge. Benzema got himself another hat-trick. They lost 3-2 at home to Chelsea in the second leg. But the real story was that Chelsea went 3-0 up were going through an aggregate and Real found a way back in and fought back to win win the tie. Lost the game, won the tie. When we go through this Real team, Thibaut Courtois is a great player. He's one of the five best goalkeepers on the planet. He's won major honours at multiple clubs. He's won four league titles at three clubs. He's a Champions League runner-up with Atletico Madrid. He's won an FA Cup and a FIFA World Club Cup with uh, Real Madrid. He also won a League Cup when he was at Chelsea. He's been around a long time. He's actually, sorry, I tell a lie. He has won five league titles in four countries with five teams. Four teams. Four teams. And three countries. Five league titles, four clubs, three countries. Sorry, that's what it is. But he's been around a long time. He has proven himself as one of the very best in the world. And amazingly, he's still only 29. It seems like Thibaut Courtois should be a lot older. Danny Carvial, four Champions League winners medals. David Alaba, two Champions League winners medals with Bayern Munich. Eder Militao, one of the better young centre-backs in the world. Jesus Vallejo is just a, a squad player. Nacho. Always a squad player, but the consummate professional can play anywhere across the back line. Four Champions League winners medals. Eden Hazard, now he's a bit of a non-factor, but maybe he sees a Premier League team and his eyes light up. No, he's injured, isn't he? He's done for the season. Never mind. Uh, Tony Cruz, what hasn't this guy done in the game? I mean, when we talk about players that have won stuff, he's got three Champions League winners medals there. He won one with Bayern. He won multiple league titles with Bayern and Real. He won a World Cup. There's nothing in the game Tony Cruz hasn't done. Karim Benzema, four Champions League winners medals with Real Madrid. Multiple league titles with Real, multiple league titles with Leon. Guy just knows how to win. Luka Modric. Four Champions League winners' medals. Multiple league titles with Real. Asensio's been part of Champions Leagues. Marcelo's got four medals. 
Casemiro's got all his medals. Federico Valverde's one of the best young midfielders in the world. Luka Jovic hasn't worked there. Lucas Vasquez, another one that's just been around and won three Champions Leagues. You know, he's just hung around and won three Champions Leagues. Gareth Bale, non-factor this season, but you wouldn't put it past him to have one big moment left in him for Real. Because he has been, at Real, he has largely been a moments player. There's just a, a litany of big moments in his time at Real Madrid across four Champions League winning campaigns. Danny Ceballos is an average player. Vinicius Jr. might be the most exciting young winger in world football. Rodrigo's another talented player. Isco looks like he might be leaving to go to Real Betis, but again, the guy has just won. He's got four Champions League winners medals, and he's been a part of them. He hasn't just sat on the bench. Ferland Mendy's one of the better young left-backs in the world. Mariano's a non-factor. Camavinga is one of the best young midfielders in the world. This is a team, a squad, with great players, experienced winners, and a couple of really exciting young players. Militao, Valverde, Camavinga, Vinicius, Rodrigo. You add them to that core that's been there and won it all. That's really exciting. The issue for Real, the one big flaw is right back. Because as good as Danny Carvial has been in his career, and at times he was excellent, he can't really run anymore. He just has no, no real ability to move anymore. He's got two league titles. He's about to win a third. He's won four Champions Leagues. But it's time to put a fork in him because he is done. He's finished. He's a washed player at this point. Now, would you put it past him to pull out one or two more good big performances? No, you would not. But based on what we've seen the last two years, it is unlikely. But this Real, Real team should not be overlooked. They have found ways to come back in ties they were not favoured in. They were the underdog against PSG. They were the underdog against Chelsea. They're the underdog here again. They kind of like that role. And when you get yourself into a position where you're doubting Luka Modric, one of the best players of the last 25 years, Tony Cruz, one of the best players of the last 25 years, Karim Benzema, arguably the best number nine in the world, arguably the best player on the planet right now, all of whom who have won four Champions Leagues, all of whom who have proven themselves among the best to ever kick a ball, when you're in a position where you're starting to loudly doubt those people, you're in a position where you might end up looking really, really foolish. You might end up looking really, really foolish. How many Champions Leagues is Asensio won? Two. How's he not won three? Because he was on loan at Espanol. That's why. Okay. Right. Anyway, I think I fancy City to win tonight, but they do have injury problems. Stones is a doubt. Walker's a doubt. And Jacques and Sale suspended. So City might have an issue at right back. Stones 
they don't miss because they've got Diaz, they've got Laporte, they're both better than Stones. They might not be playing as well this season. Stones hasn't been nearly as good as some people have made him out to be this year. But Laporte has had a bit of an iffy season. But regardless, they're fine at centre-back. They can even put Ake there. And he's he's actually been quite good recently. Uh, at left-back, they can put in Zinchenko or Ake and they're fine. But if... If Walker and Canseo are out, I mean, if Walker and Canseo were just out and Stones is fit, Stones would be starting right back. If all three of them are out, I don't know who starts right back for Man City. I genuinely haven't a clue. Could it be, will it be a young player? Would Pep risk that? in a home game in the Champions League. I don't know anything about these players. CJ Egan Riley, Luke Mabete, Finley Burns is 6'5". I'm assuming that means he's a centre-back. Uh, Josh Wilson Esbrand. Are any of these right-backs is the question. Yes. No, he's a left back. Josh Wilson Ebrand Esbrand is a right is a left back. Luke Mbete is a centre back. And CJ Egan Riley, who definitely has a little bit of Irish blood in him. Uh, he's also a centre back. He can play right back, though. He, he does indeed hold Irish citizenship. He didn't get the name Conrad from the Irish side, though. Um, played for Ireland at under 16 level, but has since switched to play back, switched back to play for England. He was with England, switched to Ireland, and has switched back. There's still time, CJ. There's still time for you to come to your senses and, and choose the, the, the good side. But I don't know who City would play at, at right back if. Stones, Walker, and Canseo are all out. I genuinely haven't a clue. Could it be that he pulls a young midfielder and plays them there? In James McAdee's left footed, so it won't be him. It won't be Cole Palmer. I don't know. I genuinely have no idea who'd play right back if If, the, if those three are out, that could be that could be massive. If the three of them are missing, uh, one of them is definitely missing. We'll wait and see on Walker and on Stones. And the reason it's so big, and the reason I'm focusing and fixating on it, is because Real's left winger is Vinicius Junior, who's their biggest outlet. And if City don't have a right back there, and even if they do, and his name is John Stones, that's not going to work out well. Walker would have the pace to deal with him, but Walker coming back off an injury, it's not an easy day. That's not an easy day for anybody, let alone a fella coming back off injury. I think City win tonight, but I think it will be close. I think Real are going to win over two legs. I do. I think Real will win over two legs. Uh, right, let's move on. Kind of related to Real Madrid, 
just take a quick moment and laugh at some of the fanboys who now populate the world. These people who don't actually support a football team, but dedicate their lives to football players. Uh, you'll remember I had previously laughed at the Neymar stands, who there's just no real reason to be on board there. But the Cristiano ones are, are just as bad. Like, let's set aside his questionable character. Uh, these people don't seem to realise that it's 2022 and he's 37 and he's no longer the player he was back in 2015. So I said yesterday on Twitter when something was talking to Raj and Raj had said, Cristiano, if you give him the service, he'll score goals. And he will. Like, absolutely. You give him the service, he'll score goals. And I said, he will score goals, but at what cost? He doesn't press. He doesn't have much creativity in his game anymore. His hold-up play and his link-up play are poor. His off-ball work is basically non-existent. He doesn't make unselfish runs to create spaces for others. And then you get this, the fanboys come coming crying in the mansions. Oh, he does all of that stuff. Well, no, he doesn't. No, he genuinely doesn't. He did years ago to an extent. He was never great in any of those areas, but he did them bar pressing. He's never been one to press at all, but he did them to an extent. He would work off the ball. He would track runners. He'd block off passing lanes. He might close the ball down every so often. He might chase a lost cause. As a winger cutting in, he would often make a run, which either by accident or design might create a bit of space for a number nine. His creativity was linked to the fact that he was playing in a wide position, would often be forced to pass the ball into centralized areas. His link play, again, came from playing in a wide role. Now, you get the few weird cry who say, well, he did all those things against Arsenal. Well, kind of. Arsenal was a real rarity for Cristiano this season. A real rarity of a performance. Clearly one inspired by recent tragic events. Yes, he scores goals. But he has a negative impact on your team. That was the case at Juventus. It's the case at Manchester United. If you could have him coming off the bench or as a spot starter, he'd be a beneficial player to have. But he earns half a million a week. That mandates that he starts. He's also Cristiano Ronaldo. That also mandates that he starts. If he doesn't start, probably some tantrums. Probably some tantrums. But these kids who are all 14, dedicating their social media presence to some fella who doesn't even know they exist and some fella who really isn't someone you really would want to model your, yourself on. Like, there's a reason that man is not allowed into America or is, is scared to go to America. There's a reason for that. Be better at picking your role models. Be better at picking your heroes. He was a great footballer. He's still a great goal scorer. He's not a great human being. Not if the multiple reports 
of mul multiple incidents are true. And he's admitted to one of them. So ask yourself the question, is that who you'd want your son to grow up to be like? Because if it is, you've got problems. If you think your child may well be on Twitter right now with an account called at Cristiano season, total Cristiano, Cristiano legacy, uh, whatever, whatever nonsensical, go Cristiano, whatever nonsensical combination of words that are to do with Cristiano. If you think your child is one of them, take the phone, delete Twitter. Now, first of all, delete the account, then delete Twitter. Put the phone in the toilet, flush the toilet and send your kid to bed. Get up in the morning, give them a slap, put them in the car, bring them to school, walk in, slap the teacher who has failed them miserably. Slap yourself because you failed as well and then head on about your day. Cristiano stands are the saltiest bunch of 14-year-olds in the world. They're, they're actually hilarious. If it wasn't so sad, it'd be hilarious. Uh, we'll move on from there. Right. I had two questions the other day that I didn't get to. And I thought today would be the ideal day to get them done. So the first question was from Rex Powercult. And it was basically to pick a match day squad or a team and subs of players aged 17 to 36 with one player from each age category. So one 17-year-old, one 18-year-old, one 19-year-old, et cetera, et cetera. So I've done this. I feel happy with the outcome. So here's what I have. So I think the best 17-year-old in the league is Cade Gordon. 18, I've got two names written down. I've got Charlie Patino of Arsenal, Carly, uh, Carly Chukwameka of Aston Villa. I'm going to pick Charlie Patino here for the purposes of this exercise. 19-year-old, um, I think it's Harvey Elliott. 20-year-old is, is Bakayo Saka. Now, not of the cap to uh, Michael Elise, who's an outstanding player, but I've gone for Saka. 21 is Phil Foden, and I don't even want to hear any debate about it. This is where the team building comes in, though. 22, I think the best 22-year-old is Reese James, but I've had to pick Dwight McNeil for my team to make it work. So acknowledging Reese James, but I'm picking Dwight McNeil. 23, uh, 23 is, is Trent. 24 is Christian Romero. 25 have gone Wilf Ndidi. 26, Andreas Christensen. That might seem like a strange pick, but there wasn't many great 26-year-olds in the league. 27, with again acknowledging how good a player Raheem Sterling is, I've gone Bernardo Silva. 28 is Harry Kane. 29 is similar to 22. The best player is Salah, but for the team-building purposes, I've gone Alison Becker. 
30 was almost impossible because Kevin De Bruyne and Virgil van Dijk are both 30. I've gone van Dijk because I need a great centre-back and I've already got my midfielders. I had my midfielders picked basically at this point because I left that one to last to figure out what I would need. Um, So again, acknowledging that Kevin De Bruyne is one of the very, very best players the Premier League has ever seen. For the purpose of building a team, I've gone Van Dijk. 31 is Thiago. 32 was weak. I've gone Aaron Cresswell. I'm not in love with it, but it is what it is. Uh, 33, Martin Dubravka. 34, Juan Mata. 35, Jamie Vardy. And 36, Fernandinho. Once you get past 31, it really is slim pickings. So the team that I've put together in a 4-3-3 is Allison and goal, Trent right back, Dwight McNeil left back because finding a left back was a nightmare. Romero and Virgil at centre back. Thiago, Ndidi and Bernardo Silva as my midfield three. And then Saka, Kane and Foden as my front three. And that left me with a bench of Dubravka, Christensen, Cresswell, Fernandinho, Patino, Mata, Elliot, and Gordon. I'm quite happy with that. I am. I'm actually quite happy with that. Uh, Aaron Cresswell and Juan Mata, obviously you wouldn't be overly in love with, but all the rest of it I think is good stuff. Uh, Right. The other question I had then was some sports lens, and it was to fix Everton. So the question was something along the lines of what would you do to get Everton back to where they want to be or where their fans think they should be? So I'm going to work on the assumption that I'm taking Everton over this summer and that they've managed to stay in the division. That I'm taking over in a sporting director capacity and that I've got free reign. So the first thing I'm doing, obviously, is firing Frank Lampard because he's a PE teacher. He's the worst manager in the league. There's just there's no point in Frank Lampard, the manager. He's a great player. He's a dreadful manager. So we're going to take this squad and we're going to start slashing away with it with a hatchet. Now, what we know is that Calvert-Lewin is almost certainly going and Richarlison is almost certainly going. Now, I believe that there are clubs out there who would pay big money for both of these. Richarlison is a Brazilian international. Calvert-Lewin is an English number nine. Calvert-Lewin's been strongly linked to Arsenal. There's talk of a 55 to 60 million pound fee. So we're going to take the high end of that. We're going to go 60 million. Richarlison, PSG have been linked. Barca have been linked. I think there'll be other clubs interested. And again, I think the fee would be around 60 million. I'm not saying I'd pay it. I'm saying other people might. Other people probably would. Uh, Jordan Pickford is England number one. And that means he has value. So I'm selling Jordan Pickford, and if I can get 30 million from I am throwing the mother and father of all parties, which is going to cause a two-week break in the work that we're doing here because everybody's going to be far too wrecked to do anything. But we're selling Pickford. We're keeping John Joe Kenny. We're keeping Nathan Patterson. We're keeping Mason Holgate. Michael Keane on your bike, son. Michael Keane out the door, and I will take. 10 to 15 million from anyone who'll give it to me. 
Uh, Alan, I'm letting go. Massive money. The guy can't play anymore. Did anyone see him in the derby at the weekend? He's got to go. We'll let him go on a free. Pay off the last year of his contract if we have to, but let him go. Uh, I keep Fabian Delph around, largely for quota purposes, but also because you need a couple of experienced heads. Uh, we're keeping Damari Gray. We're keeping Yerry Mina. We'll keep Andros Townsend. Asmir Begovic is poor, but he'll be fine as a third keeper or whatever. So we'll we'll keep him. Dukure will keep. Iwobi will keep. Michaelenko will keep. Tolson is at a contract. He can go. Andre Gomes I'll keep just because he's a different change of pace type of midfielder who might offer something. Ben Godfrey is staying. Uh, Anthony Gordon is staying. Seamus Coleman we're keeping because he is the club captain. And because, again, like with Delph, you do need a couple of experienced old heads around the place. Donny van der Beek's, um, Donny van der Beek's loan will not be extended. Andy Lonergan, we'll keep him as a training keeper. Jared Branthwaite, we're keeping. Rondon, we're keeping for a bit of depth. Uh, Anwar Al-Ghazi's loan will not become a permanent deal. And Deli Ali, obviously, we will keep. We'll also keep Tom Davies. We will say goodbye to Gilfie Sigurdsson for many reasons, some of which can't be discussed on this podcast. Uh, we will be bringing back from loan Niels Nkunku. We will be bringing back from loan Jean-Philippe Gabamon, though I do believe his loan has already been cancelled. Uh, I'm going to keep young Ellis Sims because he might be useful. Uh, Joe Virginia is coming back. He will be our backup goalkeeper. And if Juventus don't want Moise Keane, as is rumoured, I am happy to allow them out of their obligation to buy because I think he can be a very useful player. Uh, Everton also do have a decent academy. but. What we've done then, the players we've sold, Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Pickford, and Michael King. That brings us $165 of the Queen's pounds. But the more important thing we've done here is we've massively reduced the wage bill with the likes of those four and Alain and Gilfie all off the wage bill, that's really helping. Because remember, no matter what happens, there's going to have to be changes at Everton this summer because of the financial issues that they have. I mean, it's all a little bit of a mess there. So we'll have to be really careful with the finances and ensuring that money is spent in the right way. Another player who's on loan that we're definitely bringing back and keeping hold of is Lewis Gibson, the young centre-back, who I, I think has quite a bright future. Um, Lewis Dobbin, Taylor Younga, Reese Welsh, Isaac Price, these kids are all staying at the club. There's no more letting good players leave because, like, like Thierry Small in the summer because you can't find a way to get them in the team. We'll find ways to make use of them. And if they're not good enough, then they get moved on. But we'll decide then and there. Right, so what do we start off with? So I always think you should build a team from the back. 
other people have different views on it, but I always think you should build a team from the back. And I think one of the issues with this Everton team is that it's a little bit mismatched. What I mean by that is, like Michael Enko, for example, is playing left back in a back four. His best position is, is going to be left side of a back three, but they don't own another left back. So they can't do that because they've no left wing back. They were, I think, trying to play Andros Townsend there before he got hurt, but that didn't work. But I'm going to go to a back three. So I want a back three manager. Now, this is overly ambitious, but Everton have to be ambitious in some ways. So the managerial appointment I'm going for is Ruben Amaran of Sporting Lisbon. Do I think I can get him? I've no idea. But you have to try. You have to gamble on these things. You have to be aggressive in some of the approaches you take. And with someone like Amaran, who has a really clear vision of what he wants to do, I think it's worth, like, it would be worth overpaying him because I think he is the type of manager that can build a culture, develop young players, improve people. And as I said earlier, they may not win immediately, but at least they'll be fun to watch, like with Palace. That's kind of the aim. Palace is kind of the aim. So, Ruben Amram in the door. How could he turn me down? I'm a very persuasive man. What I can show him to begin with is a back three where Ben Godfrey is on the right. Michael Anko is on the left. He gets Brantwaite. and Gibson as two of his depth centre-back options, two good young centre-backs who can be developed. Now, whether or not they become very good players, that remains to be seen. There's a lot of different things to go into this, but both of those are good young centre-backs with some, with some promise. Both of those are lads that can be developed. Now, the only issue, slight issue, is both of them are left-footed, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Uh, Yeri Mina, I think, is very, very good when fit, but I think he's too unreliable in terms of his fitness. So he is going to be a backup, a squad player. Uh, it's not ideal, and he may kick up a fuss, but such is life. Nathan Patterson is the right wing back. And then I've got Kenny and Coleman as the depth. Again, it's not ideal, but it's not going to be ideal in year one, not for a club that are the tragic mess that Everton are. So I've got in midfield, Decoure is a starter. There's no question. Amaran plays a fourth. It's, it's a 3-4-2-1, but it's a 3-4-3. It's a 3-4-2-1. Uh, Decoure will be one central midfielder. We'll need to buy the other. In terms of depth, we've got Davies. We've got Gabaman. 
who potentially could be a starter, but his fitness is such a question mark that we don't know. Um, we've got Gomes. And we've got Delph. Now, Delph is also going to act as cover at left wing back. Because, well, money's short. Uh, unless, let me see, hang on. Uh, but anyway, I, I, I have four backup central midfielders, all of whom offer something different, all of whom offer a little bit of a different look. Right, we're going to fi fix this defence first. We're going to address the centre-back and the left-back. And if we can find a backup left-back on the cheap, we'll do that as well. Uh, you know what? I found my backup left-back. It's Lee Buchanan from Derby County. Talented young player, good going forward. He's out of contract. Derby are a mess. It's harsh, but we're swooping in and we're taking Lee Buchanan from Derby County as our backup left-back. Tribunal fee shouldn't be a whole lot. Shouldn't be something that we necessarily need to worry ourselves with a huge bit. Uh, so for the left-back spot, the one I want is Aaron Hickey from Bologna. Super talented player. There's a little bit of Joe Canseo about him in that he's a full-back who can play both sides and he's comfortable in midfield. And I think he really might be the most talented player to come out of Scotland in quite a while. Uh, so we're going to go for him. We're going to go for, for Aaron Hickey. Um, in terms of a fee, I've seen varying numbers floated around. I think he could probably be had for about 15 million. Uh, you know, maybe you have to throw in some add-ons, but I think he would give you a long-term solution at that position and then you've got him and Patterson, two young Scots, either side with lots of potential, lots of fight in both of them, and years and years ahead of them. Godfrey's young, Michael Enko's young. That gives me exactly what I want. What I need then is I need a very reliable middle central defender, but I also need someone a bit more experienced, a little bit older, a bit of a wiser head, but someone who's got aggressive nature in terms of going and winning the ball, getting hold of people, doing dirty work. I've mentioned this guy for a bunch of teams. I think Joe Worrell from Nottingham Forest is the perfect centre-back here. I think he's absolutely perfect in this situation. As the middle one in the three, I can't think of many. Now, again, I can think of a lot better if I'm looking to buy for Man City or for Liverpool or whoever, but I'm talking about buying for Everton in a season in which they've almost been relegated and are trying to rebuild. So for me, Joe Worrell just fits the bill really, really well there. I'm going to need a holding midfielder because with the Dekure, I've got a guy that can go box to box. I've got a guy who can carry the ball. What I need is someone that's going to sit, be a little bit more disciplined and be able to keep things ticking over. So we're going to dip into Ruben Amaram's current club. 
We're going to go João Paulinha, the holding midfielder from Sporting. He's going to be expensive. He's a Portuguese international. He's 26. He'll turn 27 in the summer. But as an experienced leader, as someone who's a winner as well, you know, key part of that Porto team that won the title last season. I think he's ideal. Now, the only doubt I have could be injuries. No, we're fine. He's had one injury. One injury. We're fine. Joao Paulinho, I think he's going to be pricey. So transfer market have his, his price down as 23.4. I think you're probably looking... 30 minimum. I'm going to say 35 just for safety's sake. Um, so I think we're good there. So now I've got my midfield and defense sorted. The last need I have in this area is my goalkeeper. I've got Virginia as my backup. I've got Begovic as my third choice keeper. I've got Andy Lonergan there as a training keeper. I need a starting goalkeeper. Again, I have a couple that I always like to go back to who I think would fit really well. Someone like Rajkovic from Stad Reims, I think could be a really good buy here. Sam Johnston from West Brom on a free is one worth considering. Thomas Strakosha from Lazio on a free is another one who's worth a look. But I think I would go Rajkovic. Commanding goalkeeper, good with his feet, quick off his line, good 1v1. I think Rajkovic is the play here. I think, again, he's probably somewhere in that 15 million range. Brings my spend to 80 million. Now, in attack, I have left myself. I didn't need a backup left back. I've got Niels and Kunku. So, unfortunately for Mr. Buchanan, your deal has been cancelled, and Niels and Kunku is my backup left back. Um, in attack, I've, as like I said, I, I'd, I'd happily bring back Moise Keane. I would happily bring back Moise Keane because I think he is a good player. I think there's huge potential there with him for goals. And he's still only 22. Like, he's only just turned 22. People forget he was only 19 when Everton bought him. He's moving to a new country, a new language, entirely new teammates, didn't really make sense for Everton or for him at the time. But he showed last season at PSG that he can get you goals. So I'm happy to bring him back because I do think there's a real player there. I'm happy to keep Deli Ali. It's two behind a one. So normally one kind of quick pacey goal scorer type, one bit more of a playmaker type. And then that nine, Keane will be the backup nine. Delhi, Delhi's a backup at this point. Um, 
I think Gordon is the backup. I think Gray might be the starter. Just just for the first season, we might keep Damari Gray as a starter. Um, I think that's probably the best course of action. Because then I have... I have two that I need to buy. I need to buy a nine... And I need to buy a goal scorer to play sort of between the lines, work off that striker. And then Gray will flip wing to wing. And he can offer quite a bit there, to be fair. You'd be tempted to go Pedro Concalves for one of those roles behind a striker, but you may not get him at this point. He's also coming off a season with a lot of injuries, so I have worries about him there. Someone I do like is Daniel Malin. Now, he hasn't had a good season at Dortmund, but I do wonder if there's possibility there for him. I'll go Cody Gakpo of uh, PSV Eindhoven because I think he's probably easier to get than than Malin. But I think he's been priced around 30 million. I think that's fine. I think if you've got him and Damari Gray either side of a striker you'll get goals, you'll get pace. You've got Ali, Gordon, and Keane as bench options. I think that's fine. So the last thing I need then is a striker. I need a number nine. I've got roughly 50 million. Roughly 50 million. 55 million, in fact. Um, I mean, there's no point in suggesting a Darwin Nunes because you're not going to get him. Unfortunately, you're just not going to get him with where you are right now. That's just unrealistic. Uh, he will have better offers than the offer you can give him. You know, so we look around Europe, we look at players at a contract maybe in 2023. I mean, I don't think Mo Salah's coming across the park. Rashford doesn't really fit the bill for what I want. Not sure I'll get any of the 2024, 2024 class, Haaland, Kane. The guy I want is an admitted Liverpool fan, which could cause some bad feelings among Everton fans who tend to get upset at a lot of things really um, one of the things they really get upset about is, is people being Liverpool fans I'm, I'm having second thoughts on Cody Gakpo the one I want is Ivan Tony. 
We're not going to buy Gakpo. We're going to buy Tony. I think 40 million gets him. We're scratching off Gakpo. We're buying Brennan Johnson instead. We're going to the championship. We're taking the best players. We're paying 20 for Johnson, 40 for Tony. Uh, on top of 15 for Hickey, 15 for Worrell, 15 for Rajkovic, and 35 for Paulinha. That's 50, 110. That leaves me 40 million. That leaves me 40 million. And it means I can get a better player than Damari Gray. And I like Damari Gray. I think he's a decent player. But I think I'd rather him as, as a backup. So I'm going to try and get someone that I do think can be a real game changer for us. Someone that could be the type of player who elevates everybody around him to a new level and also becomes a star in his own right. Because, again, like I said earlier, I want... I would want to build a fun team. I don't want a boring team. I think a mean Guri to play in a withdrawn role with Tony and Brennan Johnson. I think a mean Guri could be absolutely outstanding. Is he gettable though? That is the big question. He's at Nice. The price is expensive. His price is expensive. Just looking at here, is that they're asking big money for him. I don't know that he'll go for that type of price, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lucas Acampus is another one that I do like. I mean, Gurry is the one I want, though. I think I'm going to go a mean Guri. And even if he only stays for a couple of years, at least you'll get a couple of years of real excitement and real quality. The other one I did consider, a player I do really like, is Dwight McNeil. But there's just no real way to fit him in unless you put him in a midfield three. Now you could play him in that sort of role, but that, it wouldn't really be the best use of him. Yeah, we'll go. We'll go, Amin Guri. Um, so I've got Rajkovic and goal, Virginia as the backup, Godfrey, Worrell, Michaelenko with Mina, Gibson, and Brantwaite as depth. Patterson at right wing back, Hickey at left wing back, John Joe Kenny, Seamus Coleman, and Niels Nkunku as the backups. Decore and Paulinha as my midfield base. Davies, Gabaman, Gomez, and Delph as depth. Brennan Johnson and Amin Guri, either side of Ivan Tony, with Damari Gray, Moise Keane, Anthony Gordon, and Deli Ali, all as sort of depth options. 
I've also got Begovic and Lonergan as depth goalkeeping options. And that's just from four sales. Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, Pickford and Keane. Michael Keane. If we sold Moisa, I'd probably just look to bring in another striker, another a, a good backup striker. But I think that's a decent team. I do. I do think that's a decent team. I think it's got experience where it needs it. I think it's got young quality where it needs it. It's got an experienced spine in Rajkovic, Worrell, Dakure, Polini, and Tony. And then it's quite young and exciting in Godfrey, Patterson, Johnson, Gurry, Hickey, and Michaelenko. Depth is a mix of youth and experience as well. I, I like that. I do like that. It's obviously quite a lot to do in one summer. Um, four sales plus a bunch of players released. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven signings. Everton have done matter things. Uh, Ruben Amram would need to know he was in for. He was in for something special though, because um, when when he gets the when when the first bad result comes and the Everton fans start booing him. He won't really understand what's going on considering he'd have won six in a row before that, but such is life. Uh, but yeah, that is my effort at fixing Everton. I hope it's okay. And I will take a break. I will be back shortly with some news and some gossip. See you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So... Uh, big news, Giorgio Cialini is set to retire from international football after Italy play Argentina at Wembley in June. He said, I will say goodbye to the national team at Wembley where I experienced the pinnacle of my career by winning the Euros. What a player he has been. One of the best defenders of the last 15 years. He is an absolute warrior. And he will be missed. I think he was hanging around to play in the World Cup. I'd be really curious to see what he does at club level. I think this is probably his last season at Juventus. Um, he may well, he may well retire. He may well retire. I kind of like to see him go somewhere else. You'd love to see him go to like a smaller club and just boot people up in the air for the next three years. And referees be too too scared to send him off because he's a legend. Uh, speaking of defenders, Antonio Rudiger has agreed a deal with Real Madrid, according to Guillaume Balaga. Now, it could well be nonsense because it's Guillaume Balaga, but there is the possibility that it's true. Uh, so that would be Christensen gone, Aspilicueta gone, and him gone. They obviously sold Zuma and Guehi last summer. Guehi was a big mistake on top of selling Tamori, which was also a mistake. Uh, not great. Not great. Chelsea are going to have a lot to do this summer. They really are. And obviously there's huge questions over what their financial situation will be under the new owners. Um, but all new owners will soon have to deal with a football regulator from 2024 there will be a football regulator to oversee the running of the game, uh, including things like the buying and selling of football clubs, ticket prices, 
TV deals, etc., etc. This will be an attempt to protect football clubs like Bury, like Derby, like Oldham, like Chesterfield, like Macclesfield, like all these other clubs that have been in really horrendous situations. Wigan, Bolton. Um, a lot of clubs have really suffered in recent years, and this is important. Gary Neville was obviously one of the big uh, backers of this. He tweeted out that it was a great decision, but why was there such a delay? Why are we waiting till 2024? Uh, if he's got any sense to him, he'll keep his mouth shut, because if that regulator comes in and takes a look at Salford's finances, that might not go too well for him. Completely might not go too well for him. Uh, that is basically it. Micah Richards has a column up on the BBC about why City fans don't appreciate Raheem Sterling. That's worth a read. Uh, there's a piece there about a dementia study to reduce footballers' risks. Also worth a read. And that'll basically do us for today, other than the gossip. So, uh, Real Madrid are close to agreeing a deal for Rudiger, yada, yada. Manchester City are considering a move for Declan Rice. We covered that yesterday. Kylian Mbappe has been linked to the move to Real Madrid, but has not made a decision. Blah, blah, blah. Norwich want to sign Alex Scott from Bristol, as do Tottenham and Leeds. Barcelona would be willing to let Frankie de Jong leave for a fee of 70 million. I have doubts. Manchester United could offer Marcus Rashford and Alex Tellez in exchange for Frankie de Jong. These people just make these things up. And like, imagine. Imagine being the editor of one of these websites and some idiot comes to you and says, I have this transfer story. Like, unless your entire model is like, I don't care, put it up if you think it'll get clicks, you'd fire them on the spot. Like, if someone came to you and said, my sources tell me that Manchester United are going to offer Rashford and Tellez for Frankie de Jong, you just laugh at them. There's no way you could take that seriously. Because whatever you might think of Rashford or, or Frankie de Jong, nobody would imagine that sort of deal would get approved at either boardroom level. New Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag will hold one-to-one members on Zoom with every member of the squad to assess who he wants to keep Oh, so that's nonsense. Absolute nonsense. Ten Hag will be given significant funds to shape his Manchester squad, Manchester United squad with a striker and midfielder the priority. Um, what about goalkeeper, defence, you know, centre-back, right-back? Probably need two in midfield, in truth. One player leaving Manchester United, Paul Pogba, is Paul Pogba, who has left the team's WhatsApp group. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Paris Saint-Germain will keep Lionel Messi for one more season, but are open to letting Neymar leave. AC Milan are close to an ag- agreeing a deal with Divock Origi. He'd be a good signing for them. AC Milan, Chelsea, Real Madrid are all interested in Riyad Mahrez. Uh, Real Madrid, I doubt. Milan, I could see, for sure. It'd be pointless at Chelsea. I mean, they already have the bargain bucket version. It'd just be pointless. It'd be absolutely pointless. Juventus are in talks signing Angel de Maria, yada, yada. Uh, West Ham will open talks with Hull to sign Keane Lewis Potter. 
Hull want 18 million. They rejected 12 million from Brentford. Reims will let Hugo Ekateki leave for 35 million euros in the summer. Newcastle expect to revive their interest. As far as my Everton thing goes, if I was to sell Moise Keane, actually that might be who I'd buy. Is is Hugo Ekateki? If I can learn to say his name, uh, he's also an interest in Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester United. Arsenal are prepared to listen to offers for Nicolas Pepe. They're going to take some hell of a loss. Nico Williams, who is on loan from Liverpool at Fulham, says he does not know where he will be playing his football next season. I would guess Fulham. Udinese want to sign Pablo Mari on a permanent deal. You'll probably get him cheap because Edu can't negotiate. Ilke Gundigan says he would be happy to end his career at Manchester City, but would also be interested in a move to the Turkish Super League, to the Turkish Super League, or to MLS when his contract ends. MLS for the lifestyle and the money, and Turkish Super League, obviously, because he's got Turkish heritage. And then Newcastle have Eintracht Frankfurt's Evan and Dicke on their radar. He's a good centre back. He is. A, he would be an improvement on what they have. So, yeah, he couldn't really go wrong. Right, that's me. That's me for today. I'll talk to you all tomorrow. Enjoy the game tonight. Bye bye. Podcast Network.